we welcome you back to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and my co-host, Bob. Bob, glad, good to be with you. Glad we have a chance to talk again. It's always great to be with you, Ross. We, uh, You and I have a way of uh, talking about the things that are going on, not just in the news, but in the, the news behind the news, if you will, because worldview really does matter. How we think about the world around us, how we view it, uh, how it allows us to interpret all the events that are going on in the world, but it also gives us a chance to act according to a system of thought that is very, very, very critical if we're going to be uh, thinking people in this world that we live in. Very true. Now, you and I had just a brief discussion before we started on air here about something that at one time was probably as important to us as anything in life, and that was Tennessee football. Now, Oh, my goodness. You so, would bring that up, wouldn't you? We won't go deeply into that, but I will say that as the years have gone on, uh, I still am a large fan, as you are. However, uh, it has taken its rightful place significantly behind other events in my life and other things in my life. So I'm able to get over losses a lot quicker than I used to be. <laughs> so I'm sure that that's true of you. Also- well, you know, it's really funny how the, the things that are precious to us in our childhood uh, have a residual effect into our adulthood. And, and that's really true about worldview, Ross. If exactly I may, right. I exactly. talk about that. The, the, the way that we were raised has a profound impact on the way that we, that we think as adults. However, I think that we have a responsibility as adults to uh, a, a responsibility and a privilege as adults to look at the world, not through the eyes of a child, but through the eyes of a thinking person and say, what, what worldview, what perspective on life makes the most sense, fits the facts of the way the world is ordered, and then live our lives according to a well-thought-out system? You know, it's interesting, Bob, that you mentioned that because we've talked about Islam for the last probably three or four sessions, and we certainly want to do every religious faith justice, and we have spent a lot of time here. We'll be moving on after this session, but I think it's important to recognize, just as you have just said, that Islam is really a system, and that system includes government, finance, and religion. It's different from what's in the United States because we have freedom to choose what religion or no religion that we want to follow. We have the ability to uh, be politically partisan or nonpartisan. We also have a a system of, of business, economic system, which gives us freedom too. But if you're born into the Islamic system in Iran or some of the other countries, you don't have that freedom. And there, that's a herein lies a significant difference between these two worldviews. As a matter of fact, as we speak, there is going to be a meeting of some uh, fairly high-level people in in Great Britain just today to to study and look into the way that Christians are treated in Iran. So, hopefully. You know, this uh, this is going to bring to the forefront exactly what's happening in a society such as Iran relative to Christians. You know, I really want to pick up on what you said um, about Islam having a very, I would call it a very specific 
prescriptive perspective on politics, on, on uh, the, the way that nations are governed. I think you're exactly right about that, Ross. Muhammad, um, as a prophet, had a very, uh, in, the, in, the, in the governing of nation states, uh, there's, a, there's a quote in the Quran where, and I'm, I may have quoted this last, last show, I can't remember, but uh, Muhammad says, you Muslims are the best nation brought out for mankind commanding what is righteous and forbidding what is wrong. And the whole idea of the, the Ummah, of the worldwide commonwealth, this idea of, of Islamic nations having a, a premier role in the, in, the, in the nation states on the planet is incredibly specific. It is. And, and we're, we're right to be mentioning that as part of the worldview of Islam. Well, also we go back and look at Muslims as a as a broad group, and there certainly are fringe elements, which are jihadists and others that purport to be uh, more peace loving and probably live their lives in such a manner. But we're trying to figure out exactly what the the core message and the core belief system is of the Muslim faith, and that, that is preached from the Quran, because if someone does not adhere to that, they really are not, um, they're not assimilating into their own life the core belief that they say they have, which comes from the Quran and Muhammad. Well, you're right. And, and if, I, if I could just for a minute, can I take a little sidestep about worldview and how it affects everyday life? And that includes the, the economic sectors and the political sectors. Absolutely. I, I really believe that to, to go back and look at how you and I, how this show portrays worldview, uh, demonstrates that every 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 worldview, every every system of thought, really does have an impact on every part of life, including politics. Uh, you know, when I was growing up in in church, the one of the terms being tossed around was the Christian work ethic. Well. You know, the, the Christian work ethic is a theological perspective that Christians have based on Scripture that says we should do all things heartily as unto the Lord. And that includes how we approach everyday work and labor and all the things having to do with the economic sector or even how we govern our lives. Jesus was certainly specific about the fact that in his Sermon on the Mount that belief systems of Christianity should have an impact on how we govern relationships. And that includes the relationships, I think, at a nation state level. So I, I, I don't want to give our readers, I mean, our listeners, the idea that worldview doesn't affect politics. It most decidedly does. It's just that Islam has a much more prescriptive uh, formula, if you will, you know, perspective viewpoint on how how political nations should be governed and there's some of that is general and 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 people can argue it's it's not there's no agenda i saw a muslim, a converted muslim cleric this is a guy who spent his life studying islam uh, and later in his life converted to christianity and he spoke at a conference where i was probably 10 to 15 years ago and he drew two circles on the board, and he said, I'm going to show you the difference between Christianity and Islam. 
and he put a dot in the middle of each of the circles. And in one, he said, in the middle of the Christian is a religion, which is a part of their overall. With Islam, Islam is the circle, and inside the circle is the individual. So Islam is pervasive and inclusive of everything in your life. It's not a part of your life. Now, as Christians, we want Christianity and our and our relationship with Christ to be pervasive in all that we think and do, but it's not required as a part of our being a citizen, uh, but we have a free choice, and there is no free choice in the Islamic culture to choose or not choose Islam. I think you're, I think you're making a good point, Ross, and I, I, I would... Uh... I would I would bring to light the fact that I think a lot of that does go back to not just how the religion is structured, but how the world is viewed uh, from a Christian vantage point. There is certainly a kingdom aspect to it. The, the, the Christian kingdom idea is that there's a rule that comes first in our hearts and then it works outward into the choices that we make. It, it seems like, and you're pointing this out, that uh, for a Muslim, the kingdom is an external kingdom. It's one that, that needs to be imposed through the rule, through whether that's Sharia law or whether it's uh, through the caliphate. There is a rule, there's a system of politics and laws that govern it, and it is very much for this world. If you will, it is both outside and inside, whereas, but it's primarily outside, and it affects all of life, whereas for Christians, it's primarily an inward worldview that should affect every one of our external choices. Well, it's, it's, um, it's a pervasive situation, and um, it, as you can see, probably does affect both the Christian and as well as the, Islam, the Muslim. But the question is, how does it, how does it affect each of us so that we are the, I guess, the best citizens possible? But going to the, going to the Muslim and how that affects their life in the West and how the West is affected by their life. How would you see that uh, that? Islam is either gaining in its pervasiveness in the West, and what effect do you think that that's going to have on the overall society in Western culture? Well, I think the answer to that question is it depends on how the other worldviews in Western culture fare as we move forward in history. Um, you know, obviously, Islam has a major foothold in, uh, in the Middle East. Uh, it has a major foothold in Indonesia and some of the other nations of that part of the world. It has a relatively uh, small footprint, although it's, gay, it's growing larger in, in Europe and in the United States. The, the, the thing that we have to remember is that, that there's been room made for Islam in, the, in Western culture because there's been a declination of a, a theistic, bibliocentric Christian theism in the West. We've, if you want to use economic terms, Ross, Christianity has lost and is losing market share in the worldview market. 
Um, and it's been replaced in recent years by naturalism. And into that void, Islam has, has moved in there and is giving people a chance to believe in something. I think it's going to be interesting to see if, if Christianity and Judaism can sort of make a resurgence in the West in terms of the thought life of the average person on the street. Well, one of the things I think probably is that Christianity is abdicating in the West to some degree, is abdicating its responsibility or its position to apathy. Because, and I, I think you're saying naturalism and, and a number of other things where there's there's really a void and and into that void Islam is moving. It's a void created by uh, Christians because they're not as... Um, uh, sold out, um, involved, uh, committed to the faith that they say that they have. Well, you know, you've heard me say this before, and you and I have talked about this both uh, on the show and, and off the show, that the, the, the eighth question of a worldview that it has to answer is what core life commitments are consistent with the worldview that's being espoused? And Ironically, Christians are not living out the core life commitments espoused by their worldview. And I believe what's happened is that's, as you say, created a vacuum into which uh, other worldviews are now moving in. You know, I like to look at it as when, when my physical body is healthy, when my immune system is working well, then my body can fight off certain uh, viruses and, you know, and, and bacterial infections and things. But when my, my immune system is not healthy, then I'm subject to, my body's subject to getting sick. Christians are, in many ways, very immature today, and that is how, has allowed for a condition for other worldviews to move in and have real leverage in our society. I think you said, I'm not sure the word you use, but lazy and, and unable to... Um, to apply apologetic, we've talked about this before, because I think that in many cases, Christians are not able to defend what they say they believe in. And the first thing is to know what we believe. The second thing is know why we believe that. Third thing is to be able to communicate that in an intelligent way. And I don't think people are converted to Christianity by facts and data and, and uh, in intelligent thought, but I think that they are put in a position where they have to think and I think, well, you're exactly right. And what you're, the point you're making is that there is a cerebral element to Christianity that I wonder sometimes if the average Christian really understands the reasons behind their faith. Um, it's, I think it's a good point. Good question. Uh, some time ago, uh, oh, about four years ago, I created a little survey, which I used for a number of people who said that they were Christians. And really, it was designed to say, how many, how many times a year or a week or a month do you find an opportunity to share Christ with somebody else or to, to discuss in an intelligent way your belief system? And it was astounding to me just how, how few times or how, how, how these people were not able or not willing or not concerned about being able to do that in some very basic key questions, many of which we're talking about here. I think the, one of the main things we can do 
is to help people to see the need for and then develop an apologetic, an ability to discuss in a meaningful, intelligent, godly way what we believe and why we believe it. And then every person has their, they can make up their own mind as to whether they believe it or not. That's not, as a Christian, I don't think that's our responsibility to try to force anybody to believe anything they don't choose to believe. I think it is our responsibility to be able to make a very legitimate and heartfelt and true case for our belief system, our worldview. Well, you're making a great point, and I I think that your informal survey is really borne out on more formal surveys that have been conducted around around the country in recent months and years. The the Pew Research Center has done lots and lots of of surveying of American— Americans related to all things religion, and their their results are pretty much coming back the way that your in, informal survey results came back, Ross. I, I think it's important that, you know, there's a passage in, in, uh, in one of Peter's letters where he says that, and he's writing to Christians here, he says, sanctify or set Christ apart as Lord in your heart. And always be ready to make a defense for anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's within you. And you and I both know that's where we get the word apologetics from. The Greek word there for make a defense is is the word apologia. And it means to be able to set forth what you believe. But it's interesting to me that always in that verse there is a sort of an integration of the cerebral side of worldview and the, if I can use the term, the cardiological side of a worldview, especially a Christian worldview, that that Christians need to live out the tenets of their faith, not just hold fast to the tenets of their faith. And I, I believe then, in some ways, that failure to integrate cerebral faith with heart faith, real life faith, has sort of caused a little bit of a of a disconnect. In our culture, as people look at Christians and they go, you know, if, if you guys are Christians, how come you're not living more like Christ? And I think that's a legitimate question. It's an absolutely legitimate question. And I think that none of us are above having that question asked of us, if, if not just us asking ourselves. I know I sat in my church on Sunday morning and asked myself a number of questions about how I'm applying my own worldview and what I am, what I am doing. It, it's interesting that you use that term salt and light because I'm convinced that's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said to the church, to Christians, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, but if the salt loses its savor, then uh, it's subject to being tossed out and trampled underfoot by men. And I think in some ways, Ross, we're seeing that happen in Western culture. And I want to tell you, I really applaud uh, your uh, your confession a moment ago that we need to ask God to examine our hearts and see if they're, we're living consistently with our worldview. If we don't live consistent, it opens the world for other worldviews. And, and if I could... I think you know. I think that a lot of our listeners are probably going like you and I are, Ross. What can we do about this resurgence, this influx of Islam thought in Western culture? And we often gravitate toward political solutions, or we we might even gra- gravitate toward you know 
apologetics, worldview solutions. But the, the best thing I think that Christians can do is to live their Christian worldview. Agreed. You know, one of the things that just came to mind is if we're helping people out there and ourselves to be more effective in discussing Islam, if and when the it comes up, and it may be that we're discussing it with another Christian or with a non-believer who is testing us on what we know, or maybe a Muslim themselves. But the best thing that we can do, I think, is to have some key questions that we can ask them. It's so much, it's, it's, it's easier to ask the question. And, you know, when a question is asked of you, you're put on a, in a position of having to answer or deflect and not answer. But if we do that and, and let them do the talking, uh, we have probably made more progress than if we try to wax eloquent and tell people what they should believe or tell them um, tell them what Islam is all about, is to ask questions. And I think maybe that's one thing that we can provide to those who listen to us and for our own ability to defend the faith. Well, I think you're making a great point, not just as it relates to worldview, but as it relates to everyday life. I mean, I don't know too many people that don't enjoy having someone ask them about their lives rather than trying to preach to them or instruct them about the way they should live. And and most of us really want to to live consistent with the worldview that we have. And I think most people actually want to want to know God. There's a passage in the Bible that I think supports that. It says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. I think that's true of all men on the planet made in his image. And so there's a, a longing, a hunger for uh, to, to know the eternal. The question is, can we engage people in a way that is relational, that's that's humble, that's thoughtful? And I, I appreciate you for bringing up the fact, Ross, that hopefully this program is going to help people do that in a more substantial and definitive way. Well, you know, I think a lot of times you and I and, and everyone who is a sinful creature, we are often driven to action by some external stimuli. And I think that as we see jobs being less plentiful, uh, people having financial stress, and financial stress always causes stress at home. And when you have those stresses together, uh, it probably affects people's health and weight. And you, you can name everything that it might do. It's the capacity to look at your look at your life, look at what's going on, and go, you know what? The world is really bigger than me. The problems of the world are bigger than I can solve. And so I need to position myself in a place where I can make an appeal to my creator who can help me understand how to live in this world and how to reconnect with him. And the the, the good promise that I think that we have as Christians is that God is looking for uh, ways to support us when we humble ourselves. That verse comes to mind that says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will elevate you, support you when the time is right. Another place it says, don't be wise in your own eyes, The fear of the Lord. There's some really good uh, basic core beliefs, core promises that we can cling to in these days that can foster fear among even the most courageous person. Well, fear is not a bad thing if it's uh, properly motivated and 
the end result is good because it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's something that I think we ought to keep in mind. And these are these are very tumultuous times. As we sit here, there's a major storm brewing in the Northeast, but there's a major storm brewing in, over the entire world. It's not necessarily a climatic climate type storm, but there's storms in economic, religious, political, and all parts of life. And that's probably something that's never going to change until the Lord comes back. That's our view as Christians. Well, I think you're right. And I think the good news is that uh, God is uh, maybe opposed to the proud, but he does give grace to the humble. He, he encourages us when we humble ourselves before him. He extends his favor toward us. And, he's, and I think that's another one of the ways perhaps that the view of God that Christians have and the view of God presented by other religions might be a little bit, uh, more than a little bit different, substantially different, because we follow a God who is gracious and good and loving and kind and who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for, up for us all. And that, that's the good news, isn't it, Ross? It is a good news, and that's probably a, a great place to conclude this period of time that's gone way too fast, as it always does, at least for me, and I think probably for you, hopefully for our listeners, and we would love to have you come back and join us again. We're going to continue to talk about the different worldviews and religions of the world and compare and contrast them against uh, these eight points and that we've talked about a number of times in the past to to discuss how they can affect Western culture, how to develop a, an apologetic or to look at them in an, in an apologetic way, not to apologize, as Bob said earlier. That's not the core meaning of the word apologia, which comes from the Greek. But anyhow, great to be with you again, Bob. Come back, folks. We'll, uh, we may talk a little more about uh, Islam, but we'll move on and talk about the other religions, possibly uh, possibly Mormonism or, or Judaism, not exactly sure which we will discuss next uh, but come back and be with us we'd love to have you, enjoy being with you Thanks Ross it's always good to be with you too This has been Worldview Matters brought to you by Big Brains Media To leave feedback for Ross or Bob visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com